0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at tiaa.org/promises pay off. LinkedIn News.
1: I expect myself to be at a higher level than what someone else might expect of me. Uh, and so instead of comparing yourself to the next person, you know, I think it's it's um, prudent uh, to stay in your lane, do what you do well, perfect it, and help other people along the way.
0: Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. That's Dr. Myron Roll. I invited him on the show because I was intrigued and inspired by all he's accomplished across different areas. He is a master at successfully pivoting in his career. He's gone from Oxford to the NFL to Massachusetts General as a neurosurgery resident and a published author. But I'm going to stop there and let him tell you more. people ask you how you got to where you are. I am curious where I'm finding you today and what is the intention behind the work that you're doing?
1: Well, today you find me as a uh, senior neurosurgery resident uh, at Mass General Hospital here in Boston, working through our spine and pediatric service. You also find me as um, a father of four children, two sets of twins who are growing every day and you know, exciting to see them um, just mature and have their own identities. And a husband to a phenomenal wife that is a, a go-getter, incredibly motivating, super inspirational, and uh, you know my faith partner in, in many ways. You find me as a friend to several of my colleagues who played football and who are in the same fraternity as me. And then as an author and a motivator, hopefully that can inspire people to dream big and grab 2% of increase every single day towards their goals, towards their ambitions, towards who we need them to be. And so uh, it's a a very exciting time and, and, um, you know, I'm happy that God has placed me in, in this position for such a time as this to hopefully influence a lot of people and have an impact in several different areas of life.
0: So you've played many different roles. You've had multiple acts, as we might call them, in the workspace, being in the NFL, going to Oxford, being a Rhodes Scholar, now being a neurosurgeon, and all using the 2% way. And I'm sure everybody asks you this, but for our listeners, how would you describe the 2% way? Well, the 2% way
1: is a mindset essentially on how to achieve goals, attain dreams, and, um, you know, be a more productive person every single day. I got it from my football coach at Florida State University named Mickey Andrews. He challenged me and my teammates to get 2% every day better in everything that we did, the stamina that we displayed on the field, our tackling ability, our ability to, you know, high point the football. He wanted us to, you know, aggregate all of those increases so that at the end of six months, end of a year, we can see the growth that we've made. And doing that, it made improvement seem more manageable, more reasonable. Some people say, man, I got 100% better today. That means you had to like double your skill in that short amount of time, which is unreasonable, impractical, and is incredibly anxiety provoking. However, if you're able to grab a little bit of increase every day, those small gains add up. They manage the and quell the sort of fear of missing out or the fear of not moving in the direction that you think others in your generation are moving. It quiets the background noise and allows you to lock in on on who you need to be in any task, whether it could be a professional task, a personal task. It's just a mindset that sort of blocks everything out, allows you to focus in. And it gives you those small wins daily that honestly do something to our brain. You know, we have a limbic lobe, that releases neurotransmitters, dopamine, that can make us feel good, feel that we've you know, accomplished something during the day. And if you're able to do that every single day and continue to grab those small wins, then you do feel that you're moving in the right direction. So, you know, it's a strategy and a mindset that I've applied to life and that this book has helped us sort of bring out through the written word.
0: So is that why you think people don't achieve what they want to achieve because they're working off the like hundred percent way?
1: <laughs> well, I think so. I, I honestly I think people try to move quickly. I think life's about sort of taking your time and processing things and getting better through the process through the journey. It can seem like everyone has everything together if you look to the left or the right of you, but you don't know their struggle. You don't know what they've gone through. You don't know uh the the breaks and the and the advantages that they've received. You're not sure how they've come to be who they are. And so instead of comparing yourself to the next person, you know, I think it's prudent to so stay in your lane, do what you do well. Remember that you're placed on this earth for such a time as this. This purpose, this time is for you. Uh, and what God has for you is yours. Understand that, live it, hone it, perfect it, and help other people along the way.
0: Our country is becoming more and more diverse. People come from so many backgrounds, religious, faith-based, etc. How would you talk about kind of the why for having faith in a secular way that's inclusive of the fact that we all have different faiths, but could lean into it for support in our journey?
1: You know, I think faith is important uh, to each individual, and it can help inform and influence your journey by giving you a core set of principles and values that uh, honestly can be analogous to other faiths, too. I am very open to understanding how Muslims work through challenges and work through, you know, family issues, the same issues that I have, that they have, we all sort of go through um, similar issues, Uh, how Jews feel about certain challenges and problems, how Buddhists feel about certain challenges and problems. I think there's a constitution that we have that can be directed and colored by our faith that can come through in the good works we do, in our intentions, in our purpose, in our service, in our mindset. And through that sort of understanding, i I think that uh we can continue to increase um you know the ability to connect with people who may be a little bit different than us who believe in different different gods different deities who worship different times there's a commonality between being a good person i think goodness is universal and it spans all different sects all different iterations of faith and so for me you know, I don't try to impose my faith on anyone else, but I know that I allow my professional work, my work as a father, as a husband, my work in a community. It gives me that sort of directionality to let me know that, you know, I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. I am I'm making good steps. I am serving other people. I am trying to be in the world, but not of the world. And I'm trying to, you know, bring those individuals who seem like they're ostracizing outside, bringing them to the center to feel like they have a shot at life. And if my faith can help me do that in medicine or in my, you know, community life, philanthropic life or in my personal life, then you know, I want to try to do that.
0: So I, I really appreciate not that this conversation is about faith, but I do know that it's a large part of you and your life and how you talk about your story. So I think it's important to to weave in. And it's something that I, I do think about because I think that, I think there's many ways to talk about that. But um, some of the positive outputs of faith or belief in something larger or just belief in general is that my experience has been I felt I've had more meaning and purpose for my time here and what I want to do and the impact I want to have. So I think there's just so much richness. I was just watching a video from Dr. Mark Hyman, who's one of my favorite functional medicine doctors, who said people who have a sense of purpose are likely to live longer than people who do not. And I believe it was either five or seven years that even if we were to cure cancers and heart disease, we wouldn't be able to extend life in the same way that having a sense of purpose would. So I love longevity. I think about that. I think about why people get up in the morning. And I think there's something tied in with that to believing in something larger than yourself, despite whatever the story is you choose to believe or the the faith you choose to subscribe to.
1: I totally agree on that. And, you know, I, I really feel like it's easy to give up on yourself. You know, if you're just walking alone in a silo in this world, it's very simple to say, you know, I just don't want to do it. I'm not accountable to anybody else. No one's caring about me or my journey. No one's relying on me or my journey. No one's relying on the work that I do. No one's sort of expecting anything of me. It's very, very easy to give up on yourself, but it's hard to give up on somebody who thinks the world of you and sees you as someone who is uh, helping them come to the center and move towards a better version of themselves. And so living outside of yourself, having a greater purpose, incredibly important. I agree with that 100%. I think that is a great ethos to stand by.
0: So, you know, it's interesting. You've talked about and I've heard you talk about it a couple times. You talk about it in the book a bunch. It's part of the philosophy that your dad shared, which is be so good. They can't deny you. I think the interesting thing when you talked about that is like it's a common theme, especially I think among black Americans and immigrants, right, is like be so good, right, be beyond um, so that you can get essentially you can get to the same point that other people don't have to work as hard. So, you know, growing up, it was like work twice as hard for just as much was kind of the thing you'd hear from your parents Um, or thing I heard from my parents a lot as a black kid growing up. Do you think there are any downsides to that? Like, I wonder sometimes about this sort of narrative or this need to be almost infallible or impenetrable and the effect that has on us.
1: I think it could potentially be a heavy burden to carry. I I think there's opportunities for it to um, to really weigh someone down and slow them in in their forward progress. Uh, But the advice that I'd give and something that I've used on my own is I expect myself to be greater than um, what the standard is. I expect myself to be at a higher level than what someone else might expect of me. And so if I put myself at a level that's um, way higher than what you already placed me at, because you've looked at my outward profile and said, this is who you ought to be, right? This is the level that I expect you at. Then I've not only outperformed your, Standard, but I've achieved more than anyone else who, you know, may be a equal competitor or a colleague or you know uh, someone of that sort. So, I think you know it's a mindset, right? If you if you say, oh, woe is me, this is so challenging, I have to do more to get you know my foot in the door or to have this conversation or to attain this position, then it will consistently be a struggle for you. But if you make up your mind and say, I'm going to be so great that They will never see someone else like me. They will never see someone else who can do it as great as I can. And I don't expect myself to judge myself on what others have because I know their lanes are different. And I'm not here to change that because it's not going to change. That's a huge system issue. And that's something that's beyond my control. What I can control is how phenomenal I am, how prepared I am to do the work, how on point I am to do the work, how much attention to detail and focus I have to do the work. My outcomes are going to be fantastic. You can't deny the work and the products that I that I put forward. And I, I've, it's almost like a, I almost put myself into like a football mindset going back to my athletic days. Like you are not going to defeat me. Whatever you do, whatever defense you try to throw at me, whatever schemes you try to throw at me, it's not going to work because I've seen that play come five times in my head already before you even played it. And because you think that you can, you know, manipulate the situation to have it work in your favor. I've already had five or six counter moves in my head, ready to go. And I'm excited about showing you all these moves that I have if I have to exploit them. So, you know, I keep myself fired up moving in that direction. It's actually, instead of draining, it's actually energizing to think in this way. And I encourage my mentees when I talk to them to have this sort of readiness that no one can deny you, just like my daddy told me. And he charged me and empowered me to feel and think this way, gave me this sort of mindset to go out and get it, be hungry for it. And um, that's how I've been able to, you know, sort of achieve in the professional realm that I'm in now. And, you know, my prior life as an athlete, same thing.
0: Okay, quick break, my friends. This moment was a little uncomfortable for me, if I'm being honest. It made me think about if I'm doing my absolute best in certain areas that I say matter to me. And the truth is, after I reflected, I'm not. If you're anything like me, stories can be really inspiring, but don't necessarily give you motivation to act. It's the feeling of knowing there's a gap between where you are and where you wanna be, and then hearing words from someone you admire that can truly be the catalyst for change. I found I have to couple this feeling with compassion to keep myself from the shame spiral of performance and perfectionism. So I wanna offer you a moment to consider where you could be doing a little bit better. And as soon as we get back, Myron shares how he balances the desire to perform with self-compassion. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan,
1: We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One.
0: And we're back with Dr. Myron Roll. What's your practice for self-compassion? I know you've talked about failure, but how do you give yourself compassion when it's time to?
1: You know, it's it's uh, diving into my faith is important, as we've sort of discussed. It's talking to my family, my wife especially. She's my best friend and my confidant. Uh, that's incredibly important. It's also the understanding that I am human. Uh, I'm not perfect, and I'll make mistakes, uh, and I need to learn from these mistakes. It's okay to feel that sense of failure. It's okay to feel that sense of letdown, but that feeling has to be transient. Feel it, know it, register that pain in your amygdala, and your hippocampus, sort of your short-term and long-term memory uh, structures in your brain, and then allow yourself to grow from that moment so you don't feel that pain again. So you're able to move in a direction where, you know, you avoid those same sort of setbacks, those same sort of feelings. And so I do give myself flexibility to be, you know, um, to lose, to learn how to lose, to know how to lose. Football kind of taught me that, uh, to not be, you know, as strong on certain days and to have... Outlets, music, family, faith, my wife especially, uh, working out to decompress and uh, to get it off me, and then to play the next play.
0: And you know, you talk about your name being what you make it in in one specific context, and in some, I've seen you mention obviously that you know, Black Americans or people who were enslaved peoples, you know, so not just in America have last names and have histories that aren't what we aren't of our making. Um, and yet we have the ability to sort of rewrite or decide how to create pride from that. You said earlier that when you think about the 2 percent way, it's about who you want to be. Do you differentiate for yourself between who you want to be and what you want to do or achieve?
1: No. I keep them kind of consistent. Our family history, as, uh, as you've noted and I wrote in the book, is one of a slave owner a plantation in Exuma, Bahamas. And we all took his last name of role and you'll find roles everywhere in Exuma, Bimini, Andros, it's most popular name in um, in the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. And so uh, now that name being one of achievement and success, having that link to it is exciting. Uh, it, it has, it has terrible history, but we're able to take that history and use it for good. And um, I'm very proud of it. Very, very proud of it. Very proud of, The work that not only me, but my brothers, my cousins, and other roles in the Bahamas have been able to do. Uh, It's about, you know, what we can make of the time we have today, the sacrifices that have been made for us from a long time ago. Names we know, names we don't know, and how we can change history and change the trajectory of our families and our lineage. And uh, I'm glad that we've been able to do a little bit of that.
0: One of the things you mentioned and like looking back at your history, you've done a number of different things that people might, you know, people kind of get shocked by. Right. Like, wait a minute. How do you go from here to here to here? I asked you that question because I'm wondering about like who you've become in the process and how you mentioned that life is a journey, right? And so we kind of grow from station to station. And I think about who are you going to become next? Like, what are the staple things that don't change about you or haven't shifted about you and your core values, um, you know, beyond faith that are taking you through this process of going from, you know, NFL, Oxford, Rhodes Scholar to now neurosurgeon at Massachusetts General?
1: I think some of the core things outside of faith that sort of stay with me is, uh, you know, love of family uh, and those people close to me. I'm incredibly loyal and have shown incredible fealty to those individuals who have poured into me, uh, loved on me, provided guidance, supported me, but just my journey forward. They mean so much to me. I, I don't have a huge circle of friends. I have a lot of brothers and and they have a lot of children. And so we all just sort of keep stay together as a little role clan, roll click. And it's been um, you know, it's been good. I think something else that stays with me is this pull, this intrinsic pull to help those in the Caribbean, especially the Bahamas. I, I just I know where I come from and I know the 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 the, the opportunities that I was blessed with uh, to even be in America as a lower middle class, sometimes in the lower class tax bracket. Even in that setting, still able to do more and have more opportunities than my godbrothers, cousins, uncles, grandparents back in the Bahamas, and so I, I feel sort of um, an innate calling to provide any sort of expertise, service, um, you know, humanitarianism, philanthropic endeavors, altruism, whatever I can to the Bahamas and to the Caribbean in, in general to make sure that their opportunities and their sort of visions. Um, can be at least met or at least seen, and they can have a chance at the success that I was afforded by the bold move of my parents moving to America when I was two or three years old. Just uh, that, That means a lot to me, and that really hasn't changed no matter which station of life I've gone.
0: I'm curious, you know, as you talk about what's stable and what's stayed right now and probably going to be true for you for a long time, I think you also inspire people who don't believe that they can make the pivots that they dream of, right? Like yours sounds like a really crazy story. And and I feel in some ways like connected to that because mine sounds like a crazy story and I don't want my story to be crazy. I want it to be common. And so I wonder for you, like, what advice would you give to people who are considering um, or are have tucked away the dream of a big pivot that would make them feel more fulfilled or just be something they want to do next.
1: I would say it's never too late. It could certainly happen at any time for you. Your time is your time. And when you feel it's right, when you have this calling, this sort of burning that's in you and, and won't let you sleep at night and let you know that there's something happening, something brewing inside your soul it's kind of your body autonomically telling yourself it's time to move. It's time to get, get going on, on what this is. So one is never too late Two, listen to that voice. Three. I think you can always use the life that you've had before and translate some of those strong principles that you've been able to attain, those skills you've been able to acquire, those networks of people you've been able to meet into your new pivot. You know, for me being a football player my entire life and now being a neurosurgeon, right? Completely different. One, trying to cause concussions. Two, now trying to solve traumatic brain injury and fix people with concussions. You almost seem like, dichotomous and sort of, you know, very, very disparate sort of, um, uh, disciplines and in ways they are, but I use what football has taught me. Discipline, focus, hard work, understanding coaching, taking criticism, being able to mitigate pressure, being able to prepare correctly, being able to focus, understanding teamwork and getting along with people who are different than you and speak different than you and come from different backgrounds, trying to be a leader in that respect. There's so much that football has taught me that allows me to be a better physician today. And so those pivots that you want to make, those large pivots, don't forget your prior life. Use those intangible qualities that you've been able to attain for so long into the next journey and allow it to fuel you forward. And so those would be my three sort of uh, pearls that I would drop on people as they think about making the next big pivot in their life.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I entirely agree. And I think it goes beyond career, but that the idea is the idea being how do we peel back what we've done to just a skill so that we can transfer it to other areas of our life and essentially like copy paste and apply it elsewhere. Because sometimes we don't realize that we have a skill that we use in one area that could be really powerful for a different one.
1: That's correct. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right. So, Dr. Roll, I'm going to have you answer these three statements. The first is, better humans are?
1: Better humans are compassionate, selfless, and motivated to lead the world better than they found it.
0: Better work is?
1: Better work is focused, targeted, and done for the benefit of others.
0: And a better world has?
1: More love, more family and less division on superficial issues that have plagued our communities for far too long.
0: Amen to that. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Roll.
1: Thank you very much for having me, I appreciate it.
0: That was Dr. Myron Roll, author of The 2% Way and former NFL safety turned neurosurgeon at Massachusetts General. I hope Dr. Roll's story has given you a window into the life of someone who prioritizes small moves. So many times we get caught up in the gap between where we are and where we wanna be. Instead of being discouraged when it starts to feel really wide, ask yourself what tomorrow would look like instead of focusing on that far off moment of achievement when the gap is closed and your goal is a thing of the past. I found change is so much easier that way. If this conversation made you think about where you could get a little bit better tomorrow, share it with someone else who might benefit from taking small steps. And help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. Even better, write a one-sentence review telling me what being 2% better would mean for you. And as always, you can find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential and meaningful living. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Franz Bowen and Rafa Fariha. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Courtney Coop is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor in chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me and I'll see you next week.